the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. Tuesday, June 28th, 2022. It is a delight to welcome into the studio, as we do every single Tuesday, Hugh Hallman. He is the former mayor of Tempe. He is an attorney practicing in town. He is an educator practicing in state and out of state and out of country. Hugh, welcome back to the show. Good to see you. How's every little thing? Every little thing is delightful, especially when I get to spend time with you. Very so, nice. With your listeners. Uh, let's let's put together a, a bunch of your pieces of expertise and resume. I was making the point earlier, uh, one of the f- last places, one of the last precincts or institutions I thought we would um, – be uh, delivered from our, uh, our 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 woes would be the the judiciary, and lately it seems like it's been on a run of saving this republic. I never saw it coming. I just didn't think it would happen. Whether we're talking about the Dobbs decision, whether we're talking about the Second Amendment, uh, which they uh, reified and reaffirmed last week, whether we're talking about uh, the First Amendment religion clauses, which is Congress shall make no law respecting establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, or whether we're even talking about the New York State Supreme Court. I don't know if you saw what they did yesterday. New York City had this crazy law that non-citizens were given the right to vote. The New York State Supreme Court, which I know is their trial level, but nonetheless struck it down yesterday saying, I'm sorry, citizens are the people who get to vote in this in this city, much less this state. Who saw this coming? I didn't think I mean, I'm, I, I, I thought we had lost the judiciary for a long time. It looks like they're the ones saving us. And so with some hesitation, I say that um, a number of people who held their nose voting for President Trump did so because they were hoping he would appoint it. judges. Yep who would reestablish the center in our constitutional jurisprudence. And I'll be damned they have. Uh, And I don't mean to be damned that often, but it was was as big a shock to me as it is to you. Okay. Because you and I grew up in an era that, and I'm 10 years older than you about, that the court became an activist court. We had judicial nominees and conservatives talking about a time when courts and judges were supposed to be interpreting the Constitution within the bounds of what it was intended to be. But the law schools in the 60s and 70s and 80s, and ultimately when we were in law school, as I was in the 80s, um, had come to the conclusion that the the concept of uh, stare decisis and, and honoring prior decisions and the intent of documents and interpretation that is limited by understanding things was nonsense and instead threw all of that out, Cass Sunstein among them, 
who became uh, uh, an advisor to President Obama, one of his czars, um, concluded that this is all fake. We're pretending that there's any constraint on judicial interpretation. And in fact, what courts have always done is merely look at the social network and our social environment and make decisions based on where the people are, which makes it an entirely political process and claiming that that was always true. For those of us who take a different view, me and you included, that there are bounds in which one properly interprets a document, whether it's a contract or the Constitution, and one is trying to suss out the intent of the parties involved and in the constitutional context, what the founders were trying to achieve. And those who want to use the social environment to dictate what this society should be, I think, fail to recognize, as we've talked before, that this society whether you believe it's divinely inspired or not, has created a moment in history never before known where the governed have constrained the government and the government constrains the governed. And within that balance, and I'm paraphrasing quite a bit. Um, no, it's right out of Madison. Madison. It's right. Yeah, exactly. Paraphrasing. Well, I know if exactly angels the were line. men, right, you know, right, never right. government would right. be necessary. But if angels government. Uh, the first task is for to, government to control the people. The second is for the people to control the government. And because that if men concept, were angels, yes, no government would be necessary. Way, but if that right. concept, you read that sentence and you go, geez, that's a little frightening. Right. Except that it was intended by a man who was writing from a perspective where over a couple of thousand years, the people had torn apart their governments. They had destroyed them because they were too pure in the democracy in the, in the Athenian concept or failed those pieces in the Republican government for, for Rome. And writing about that understood. You got to do both things. You can't have the people have a power that destroys the government. With a footnote, even Jefferson acknowledged that at some point, if the government overreaches to a point, the people have the right to overthrow it. So that's that's foreign to most thinkers these days, that that's the context in which these people are writing. And they gave us 10 amendments as the compromise to get the Constitution passed in the first instance. Why? Because the anti-federalists misnamed, just as the federalists were misnamed, <laughs> uh, the federalists were really the folks who were putting uh, power into the federal government and deeming themselves federalists, meaning that they're spreading the power across states uh, in a federal system. And the anti-federalists were actually the ones like Jefferson who were much more states' rights-oriented uh, and were afraid of a federal government. And so to get that compromise, especially from Virginia, you had to have these ten amendments that Jefferson was pushing for, among others, to acknowledge the limitations of the federal government. And the First Amendment and the Second Amendment are probably the two most important, the second being the one that allows us to enforce the others and the entire Constitution, and the First Amendment, which is the reason it's the first one is it was so primarily important. And now here we are, suddenly, in 2022, with a Supreme Court of the United States that acknowledges that the federal government's power is limited in these regards, and signaling, a couple of justices signaling, that in fact, there's more work to be done. Well, what am I talking about? Well, let's start with uh, the Kennedy versus Bremerton. Here is a coach who is stopped by the school district from praying on, on the 50-yard line of the football field after games. It happens, I ran schools. I ran a charter school, so it's a public school, number one, subject to all the same restrictions. And I happen to have a head coach who performed exactly those kinds of activities. And I had to walk very carefully the line of 
what can he be allowed to do and what do I as a headmaster of this public school have to do to be sure he does not violate the rights of students not to feel compelled to engage in a religious activity? Why is that true? Because there are two clauses in the First Amendment, and it starts with this. As you cited it, you want to cite it again? Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion. Congress shall make no law. So the federal government extended to states because of the 14th Amendment. Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of of religion. Of religion. Establishment. That's called the Establishment Clause, that government cannot create an environment in which it's establishing or being deemed to sort of force religious activity on anybody. And then the second part that got overlooked over the last 60 years. Nor prohibit the free exercise thereof. thereof. Yeah. No, nor the, the free exercise clause. And this, the court for the last 60 years has put all the weight on, no, 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 government, you can't establish it. You can't have prayer in schools because that's teachers telling kids to have to pray. You know, that's you can argue that one pretty easily on both sides. But coaches privately praying and or students gathering around them to participate in that, how close are you to that establishment line versus these are private people engaged in a private activity free exercising their religious beliefs? Well, it's a tough line. You've got kids who can be influenced. By the same token, people of faith find it important for them to express their thanks to God like in a football game. And often the coach I'm referring to, who was the head coach of my football team, took the very first charter school to 11-man football state championship. We lost, but we were in the finals. Um, very first time. Quite a motivational speaker, a great motivator. He's had trouble since. I know the other schools have tried him and they, they've not liked his methods. But at the time I was working with him and what he was doing at our school, it was very impressive taking young men and women. Yes, it was lovely to have a woman on our football team. Imagine that, a school, a little charter school, public school nonetheless, with a woman on the football team in a what people thought of as a conservative environment. And the answer was, you're not paying much attention then. It was always fun to hear the announcer say, and that was Lily Royalty on the tackle. Uh, imagine being the player who was tackled by Lily Royalty. <laughs> in any event, all of this was, it's a very hard line, and it's tough work, and it's really difficult. But it became so easy over the last 50 years for government officials to say, you can't do that, to the point that I ended up, in part, elected to the Tempe City Council because a church held a rally in Tempe Beach Park, big park in downtown Tempe, in which they were openly praying, and uh, some... Others in the park were disturbed by this. Karens, they're known as. Yes. Disturbed by this. Mm -hmm. Complained to the city, and a city staffer came in and shut them down. Shut the church prayer meeting down. I got the phone call of from the minister, well-known high-profile guy, and I said, this is nuts. I made one phone call and got it reversed very quickly. Why? Well, I, I do cause some terror. Uh, but I was, you know, expressing, and I, I have represented, yes, folks, plug your ears if you don't want to hear this, the Arizona Civil Liberties Union, when they were right on issues, on people meeting in parks, people protesting on the streets, peaceably, and other things, because they were handling cases that I thought important to protect those rights, and I did it for free for them. The whole point is, this First Amendment field is crucial to our liberty. 
and having the opportunity to freely exercise your religion while understanding what establishing a religion by uh, by the government means. Well, why were the founders thinking about that? Because many of them came from a government environment in which the Church of England was established by the government. And that church, among others, were putting pressure into the U.S. states, the then not quite United States, to have these established religions. That was the pushback. It was not from uh, from uh, the Catholic Church as much as it was from the small Christian religions, ultimately Lutherans and others, who were pushing against the fear that they would get pushed out of the market, marketplace of religion and ideas and speech. And so here we are 50 years, 60 years after this whole process began, reversing uh, decisions by the federal government through the Supreme Court. And now the left is going nuts. It's an activist court. Gee, you didn't mind it being an activist court for 60 years, pushing against everything conservatives believe. You let that happen. And now you're going to complain that it's an activist court for all it's doing is pointing to precedent and saying there are limitations on judicial activity. And we're going to go back to what the Constitution says. And when we come back, I hope I can give you a quote that people keep missing. Yeah. And you know what? We have to add a third element to this, which has been ignored, I think, until Neil Gorsuch kind of revived it, which is the next what six words, which is or prohibiting or abridging the freedom of speech, because I think that's an element here, too. We'll pick it up when we come back. I'm Seth. He's Hugh. 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, portions of which are brought to you by Cool Touch Air Conditioning, Heating, and Plumbing. I have used Cool Touch for years. I know Chris Funk and that team. They are a fantastic team. They say what they do, and they'll do what they'll say. Never interested in upselling you, ever. 17 years in business, Cool Touch has an A-plus rating with the BBB. Never received a complaint with the ROC. If your AC is on the fritz, needs repair, you're looking for a new one, if you need an inspection, or if you have plumbing needs. Check out Cool Touch at CoolTouchAC.com. That's CoolTouchAC.com, or give them a call at 623-734-1932, 623-734-1932. They'll t- treat you great. Hugh Hallman is our guest. Hugh, we were just talking about uh, the last, really, a uh, couple of weeks of Supreme Court and other judicial uh, decisions that uh, are, you know, rescuing uh, the Constitution from what has been done to it in a way that I, I think even we conservatives have been uh, pleasantly, to be sure, but surprised by. Uh, I, I don't want to tread on you, but if I could make one other point on the uh, Bremerton School uh, football coach prayer case. Yes, the Establishment Clause and the Free Exercise Clause, which have been read uh, to conflict or having to be measured against one another, uh, Neil Gorsuch, who wrote this opinion, uh, the majority uh, de- uh, decision in this opinion, um, did an interesting thing, which was to add the other main element of the First Amendment, which is the next six words after thereof, which is about abridging freedom of speech. And I loved how he opened it because, I mean, this almost explains it to anyone. Can I just, this is the opening of his case. I have it in front of me. Joseph Kennedy lost his job as a high school football coach because he knelt at midfield after games to offer a quiet prayer of thanks. Mr. Kennedy prayed during a period when school employees were free to speak with a friend, 
Call for a reservation at a restaurant, check email, or attend to other personal matters. That whole setup of that sentence turns this into, oh, he can do all that. He's just not allowed to pray to God. And that kind of already makes its own sense right there quite simply. I mean, it's almost as if what Oliver Holmes once said is is right there, which is a, uh, a, uh, a page of logic is worth a volume of history. And, and, and that is where we are now at with our First Amendment um, uh, freedom of uh, freedom of uh, free exercise clause jurisprudence. It took a long time to get here, but we are now at the place where you cannot prefer irreligion to religion. You cannot discriminate against religion. That is the new dominant theme, which was the original theme of the founders in the free exercise clause and the establishment clause, which has been perverted since 1947. Understand, folks, that this entire analysis that Hugh Holman was just describing that was handed to us mostly by what is known as the Warren Court, which mostly ran from about 58 to about 76 or or, or so. I know I know Berger came in, but it, it was still dealing with that. That's why you had, you know, Roe versus Wade, et cetera, still part of the Warren ethos. Um, it, it started with a lie in the first establishment clause case that the Supreme Court dealt with in 1947, known as the Everson case, Everson Board of Education case, where uh, Supreme Court Justice Black said, the First Amendment envisions a wall of separation between church and state, and that wall must be high and impregnable. All of that was a lie. Wall of separation between church and state is to be found nowhere in the Constitution of the Bill of Rights or in any other writing of any founder except one letter of Thomas Jefferson's. One. And that, that phrase pre- and high preceding 150 right. years of life in the United States never causing this problem. Right. And the words phrase high and impregnable found nowhere. That was a total invention. High and impregnable was an invention of a justice. And that is what disturbed and upset jurisprudence in our country. Now, the interesting point I wanted to pursue with you for a moment before we do with some, deal with some other First Amendment issues you came loaded for bear on is the interesting thing about how the left is handling this stuff because they were conditioned for 75 yeah, years. Yeah, 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 70, 75 years that this was the law. And they never once listened to a dissent on this. There were dissents in a lot of these cases, mostly the religion cases. They never once read a dissent. They never once listened to one. And they never once thought it would have any purchase whatsoever because this is what they do. They don't read conservatives. We read them because we have no choice. They never read us. And we had the history on our side. And we finally got the justices to implement that history. And they don't know what to do with it. They're the ones who got as much, who were as surprised as we were, quite and, frankly. And now the dissents mean everything right. because it's their three justices right. now, who are now right, crowing right, about right, all the crap right, they learned right, in law school that now, none of this means uh, anything right. and they can make up the law anytime. Right. Time. Now they'll, they'll be teaching yes. the dissents. Good yes. point. And, yeah. and so that's all that they'll be yes. teaching, that yes. they, the rational uh, thinking of the dissents is all that now matters. Yeah. And that's, you know, when, when, when we all come back to reality and rational behavior, listening to the typical reporters on this stuff, the NPR reporters, whether it's on abortion or these First Amendment cases about prayer and those kinds of things, uh, it, they always come back to some kind of cute conclusion that restates the law as they want it to be, <laughs> exactly. not as it is, so that they can keep conditioning their listeners to hear this is what it should be. And Let anything me- that varies from that is is wrong. All right. Well, you, you, Clarence Thomas is up to something interesting, too. I know you want to break. Can, let's do that on the other side of this break. It's, it's kind of a Clarence Thomas day around here, and uh, I'm glad... Uh, 
you came with that as well. I'm Seth. He's here. We'll be right back. I just put Hugh Holman in Nirvana. He didn't believe in Nirvana until I uh, till I played Frank Sinatra in the bumper. Then he realized he, uh, oh yes, I can be, I can do that as well. He takes a deep breath. He's relaxed. Everything is good again. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson oh, Show. Okay. <laughs> um, Hugh, I want you to set the table on something Clarence Thomas is up to, and then we'll go to some calls six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero because this is long overdue as well. Tell us what Clarence Thomas is up to. And so a couple of years ago, Justice Thomas mentioned that he thought the New York Times standard needed to be redone. That's the Times v. Sullivan case in which uh, the Supreme Court, I think it's on a unanimous decision, said that uh, a newspaper was not going to be liable for damages uh, for misstating the facts with respect to an organization, NAACP, as I recall. And the case was fairly benign. The The misstatement was fairly minimalist. And there were lots of ways the court could have gone. But they decided to set a standard that effectively said that if you're a public person, uh, and that could be an organization, all kinds of ways you become a public person. That but think you, elected official, politician, actor. Think think along you know, those lines. Folks you know of because of their activities. Dinner table, conversational, recognized The people. mayor of the city of Tempe, right. for example. Right. And that means that uh, unbeknownst to most people in these United States, somebody can print a lie about you in a newspaper that is absolutely a lie. And as long as they have not done it maliciously or with a reckless disregard for the truth— uh, they are not liable for that lie. Well, most people think, well, they, if, if it's a lie, they can sue. The answer is, no, you can't. You're precluded from suing if you're a public person uh, unless you can prove malicious intent. Well, how do you prove malicious intent? You've got to get inside of somebody's head and be able to say that they hate you at a level that's malicious. Almost impossible. And reckless disregard for the truth is such a high standard. Effectively, ignorance is not reckless disregard. So now what we've done over the last 75 years is create an insert 65 years is create an institution in which reporters do two things. They express opinion, not reporting facts. So that's why you see the introduction of opinion in news stories. As long as it's expressing an opinion, it's not a statement of fact. I think that Seth Liebson has serious issues with children. Well, think gets you out of me suing you. Correct. The word think, yeah. And he's a public person because right. I just thought it. I'm not stating a fact. Right. If I said Seth Liebson has problems with old, some horrible right. statement. No, takes it a little differently. Right. And as long as I'm ignorant about whether he is, that's not reckless disregard. So I, as mayor and in other capacities, when I was having trouble with news reporters or particularly opinion writers, I would write formal letters to the newspaper, the Arizona Republic or the Tribune, and say, here are the facts. If you report this again, you no longer have the standard of, right. and you're stuck. Right. Got a couple of columnists fired over time because the paper was too, con the particular paper I'm thinking, too concerned about the fact that they were going to be reckless. 
and didn't want to face that liability. Both have been reinstituted since I left office, but that that's literally the level I was going to because I'm a First Amendment lawyer trying to force these people to behave in a way that should be the standard of behavior. And you and I have talked about trying to help teach this sort of thing at schools. But the reality is our own judicial system has created a market in which the Twitter feeds and all of that stuff can absolutely state lies about anybody who's deemed a public person and they are stripped bare and have no way to protect themselves. And yet the public believes, well, if it's a lie, you should be able to sue. You do get to sue, don't you? Well, now Clarence Thomas says we need to rethink this because it's destroyed our public market of ideas and discussions. Not because he's trying to staunch anybody's discussions, but because he wants more truth and less nonsense. Well, newspapers are afraid of that. And my response to them is, it's interesting that Great Britain has this same kind of concept of, of uh, libel and slander and suits get taken. There is no First Amendment there, and there's no concept at this level of the New York Times standard that mm-hmm. protects newspapers particularly, but anybody who speaks or publishes nonsense. We should not be encouraging nonsense. And the left's response to Clarence Thomas even raising that, especially because it's driven by the corporate news media that want to keep profits over truth, are are the same sort of sounds they're making over the establishment versus free exercise clause in religion or abortion. It sounds like this. Ah! I mean, literally, you've got this completely ignorant response by not only the famous, you know, Actors and folks who are ignorant but want to have an opinion on important things, but even people who should know better. And in this instance, for example, with respect to abortion, one of the most important phrases that comes out of uh, the newest decision is this sentence that they are reaffirming the need that we need to stop the abuse of judicial authority. And that it is time to heed the Constitution and return the issue of abortion, in this case, to the people's representatives. Let's pick up on that when we come right back. Bill, we have to uh, take a quick break here and come right back. We'll be doing so apace. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. If you're looking for a remarkable investment opportunity with a great return for investors, check out my friends at Refi. They're offering a fixed, no-load interest rate up to ten and a quarter percent return for investors in a secure and collateralized portfolio. Why Refi is a due diligence approved firm run by really cool people, great people. They're based right here locally. You can go and visit them. You won't get a sales pitch. They'll just tell you what they're up to and let it speak for itself. Check them out at investyrefi.com. The word invest, the letter Y R E F Y dot com. Invest. Whyrefi.com. Hugh Hallman, what do you say we take some calls? I think that's great. Can I read, um, before we go to calls, can I read three sentences, three short sentences from Alito's opinion in the Dobbs case, which explain the entire case? I don't know if you can, but if you're asking my permission, you may. May I? You are a teacher. Abortion presents a profound moral question. The Constitution does not prohibit the citizens of each state from regulating or prohibiting abortion. Roe and Casey arrogated that authority. We now overrule those decisions and return that authority to the people and their elected representatives. It's that simple. Go it's fight that simple. it out. Go fight it out at the state level. Rob is in surprise. Rob, you're on with the mayor and myself. How are you? Well, hi, Seth. Uh, hello, Mayor. Um, I'm I'm fine. I uh, 
you know, I was uh, wrestling with this whole uh, issue until Billy Joel Armstrong from uh, uh, Green Day decided to come out and be against it. Um, and, you know, we all know he's a great uh, legal scholar, and I'm being very sarcastic, of course. Um, I, I, just, I just find that, uh, you know, the people that are against all this obviously haven't read the Constitution, obviously don't know about how uh, the original Roe v. Wade was actually, and I knew this in high school. I was a senior in high school when Roe v. Wade was uh, voted on, and I knew back then it was bad law because, again, I never went to law school, but I knew that there was something that just wasn't there that they, uh, the Supreme Court people found there. A penumbra um, of rights know. is the actual phrase. Uh, and and I also remember seeing a picture a few days ago. Uh, it may have been Twitter where some wild-eyed woman uh, had a T-shirt on that said, I've had 29 abortions. And I thought, you're proud of this? You're, you're not ashamed of this? Um, and again, I, I think that uh, what we need and, and one of the nice things about uh, overturning Roe v. Wade is that, well, maybe we'll bring, bring back a sense of responsibility. And, oh, by the way, isn't there birth control out there and hasn't there been for 50 years? Or am I crazy? I'm, I'm, well, I, I, I think, Rob, you're not crazy, but I also think you're, you're expecting too much of Green Day singers to read the Constitution. They don't have to go back that far. They can just read the three sentences I read because this singer, Billy, what's his name? Billy Joel, what's his name? He lives in California, and I'll just save him the packing. California will, under this ruling, expand abortion rights. Let me reiterate. California will expand. It already has in the last three weeks. Expand abortion rights as a result of this decision. He doesn't need to go anywhere. Correct. You don't need to go anywhere. And we talked about this uh, last week, that this is now a line-drawing problem that every legislature is appropriately, mm -hmm. under our constitutional system, under our federalist system, now obligated to deal with, many of whom don't want to deal with right. it because now you got to choose which side you're going to be on. And that's an ugly thing in politics because you start with a 100% approval rating and then you start losing votes the moment you open your mouth. And once you have to pick a side on these kinds of things, these are, these are in some ways, 60-40 choices. You've talked properly about the fact that the American people, by and large, aren't where the left says they are. They are mostly trying to figure out where to draw the line between, I know it's wrong to abort a child a minute before birth. Most people say that contraception is acceptable, but even Clarence Thomas talks about the fact that that is something that is a state issue. And if there are states that want to outlaw contraception, he believes that's a power within the state. Some people disagree with that, that there's a, a constitu U.S. constitutional right. I, I happen to think that the U.S. Constitution was intended to be a much more limited document precisely to allow states to sort these things out and where cultures are different, deal with it. And the reality is that we get into this discussion of, well, some you know women are now trapped in a state where they can't uh, exercise their, quote, right, unquote, to abortion. And these are temporal issues. And if if Louisiana is such a disastrous place, 
it would have been emptied over the last hundred years. But it's not. It's actually grown. It's New York that's emptying. Um, and so uh, one wonders uh, where these people get their sense of how states operate. I heard again this morning monitoring the, the folks at NPR. The only news stories they're running are about poor women who claim they want to have an abortion and don't have the money to, to change their places or poor women who now don't have enough money to survive and live in the apartment of their choice and might become homeless because there are no other options. Obviously, that's that's they've, they've created a temporal concept here that says we're now stuck. Argumentum ad misericordum is what it's called. Yes, yes. exactly it's right. It's a fallacy of argument from, 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 from that person. Look, before Roe versus Wade... Yeah, he knows the Latin. I, I, you know, 66% of the country lived in or within 100 miles of illegal abortion. The idea that abortion was illegal in this country is not true, and the idea that people had no access to it is not true. I presume and predict that that number is going to expand as a result of Dobbs because of what we're seeing in New York and California, which is more expansive abortion rights oh, in those now, states. And now potentially federal government tent cities for abortions right. on federal lands. Absolutely. Absolutely right. We'll be right back. Welcome back, and thanks for spending some of your afternoon with us. I wanted to give Hugh uh, the last word on the elephant in the room, which is the media not reporting on the donkey in the grass. Go ahead, Hugh. So uh, the Dobbs decision overturns Roe effectively, and the left goes nuts that protests at the Supreme Court that that decision is somehow outlawing abortion, and of course that's not what's happened. All it's done is, as exactly the opinion said, was to return the power to states to make these decisions. So now, folks, go protest at your uh, state legislatures and your executive branch and conservatives. You need to understand, don't overreach because the way in which the left wins these battles is when we as conservatives overreach. And we have to remember, once you fire that shot, the other side gets to shoot. And uh, most people in these United States are not very political. 60 or 80 percent in the middle just sort of want to live their lives and the edges are pushing one way or another. And for conservatives, it means behaving well and smart and thinking through how to reach a a point at which uh, Americans generally will support a decision. In this instance, the left has overreached already. Even at the state legislature, you had protesters uh, who were protesting the decision in Dobbs Uh, not peaceably protesting. And this brings us back to the beginning. That First Amendment crucially protects the right to assemble and peaceably protest. I keep saying it that way because that's how the old language is written. It says, the right of the people peaceably to assemble. And when you start throwing rocks, breaking glass, and doing other things, whether you're a conservative, January 6th investigation, or liberals, out at the Arizona Senate just last week, you ought to be excoriated. And the left loves to go after Republicans and say that we're now uh, anathema to the political process. Well, guess what, news media, corporate media, start covering the crazy left, just as you should have been covering them two summers ago when they were destroying courthouses and blowing up malls. And it shouldn't be hard because they're on their speed dial. I'm Seth Leibson. Until tomorrow, God bless you all, and class is dismissed. 
Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.